You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we bring you panel four from the Exit Strategy and Capital Summit. This panel was on tech and the economy. What will disrupt your business? Is your company on the verge of being disrupted and you don't even know it? On this, we have moderator Darren Herman, who is the CEO of Gobato and the host of Establishing Your Empire, an amazing podcast that I was a guest on. Everyone, please check out that episode. Also, we have Dr. Elizabeth Shu, who is public board director, Gilliam Jewelry, who is the founder and chief executive at O Company, and Jeep Klein, who is a venture capitalist. She's a professor at UC Berkeley Haas Business School and board of directors. We talk about where will the next big disruption happen? What are the concerns moving forward with data privacy? How is AI impacting the healthcare industry? What is the future of the supply chain? And what are decisions companies making due to ESG concerns? Now, I want to tell everyone, this recording, while the quality is not the best, we had to take the audio from a camera in the crowd due to the, well, the microphone's input's not being recorded. So I apologize for that. You are going to hear sodas being open, people walking, a little bit of background discussions, some coughing. Yeah, not the best, but the content's amazing, so we decided to release it. All right, now you've been warned, but enjoy. All right, let's start this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Hello, here we go. Hopefully everyone's still awake with the pizza, but uh, we're going to talk about blockchain, data privacy, metaverse, robots, ESG, AI, oh my. So actually, I think all three of y'all have ties to Thailand. So why don't we start with this question, is what advantages do we see in emerging markets like Southeast Asia, Africa, and Latin America? That's the first disruption, right? As we are talking about this, so um, perhaps I can say a little bit on myself and an impact VC. And, uh, I invest, I have a fund investing in emerging markets entrepreneurs. And what we see, not just in Thailand or Southeast Asia, but throughout um, you know, the world in developing countries is that great talents are everywhere. And they know how to build a company. They understand local markets. They might come over here for, to incubate their companies and try to scale initially, and then they bring the technology back home. So you're gonna see a lot of funds moving forward as investors, active investors, small fund, big funds, trying to democratize, meaning bringing capital to those entrepreneurs who can create impact locally and scale regionally, if not globally. So. Southeast Asia is one of them. Well, me, I'm uh, a bit more different. I think that the future is uh, building things in the country. We believe that we need to recreate much more security in controlling the technology and really building something from the ground. The market in Asia and on the market are very interesting in a way that it's very easy to have low price, but it's always complicated to control the technology. So if you really want to create something that has a value, you need to be able to scale it. And the best way is to produce it in the United States. So, 
Yes, the offshore platforms bring you so much flexibility to be able to produce very quickly and be able to have access to all the technology of different developments, but you don't have this control on this technology. You have to talk with people that maybe you don't have the same language. So it brings a lot of difficulty in the time when you try to export things. First, we believe that we need to recreate home construction and bring technology in the country. I can tell you about this for three days. But I don't want to do that. I was hired by the largest company in Thailand to really bring the U.S. technology to Thailand to transform the business. And when I went there, I found out that there are the business usage are quite different. People's life size quite different, but and also the workforce was not there. So we started the first steps to train the people. You know, once we get the people trained, then we start to understand the local business model. We found out. You really can create a lot of uh, innovation by bringing the best practice from the U.S. Because I was the CTO of the BMC software, and I've been in the tech industry for 20 years before I went to Thailand. So when you go to this emerging market, you immediately think, "Hey, what kind of technology I can use?" And because of the Web3, because of the and the new internet, right now the innovation, the cost of the innovation, is so low. So that's why the emerging um, market, that's why you have the impact fund, because you can create the same kind of uh, innovation, probably use one twentieth of the amount of technology, because right now a lot of it's a brand drop. But however, the emerging market really needs experts, really need experts from the strategy level, and also, just like I was hired, and also the people who really know how to bring the technology together really marries the challenges and the use cases with the how to do things and create the unique solution for that particular country. Well, I want to stop here because we have a lot more other things to talk about. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's actually jump to data privacy. We've seen stuff with like Apple ads, and um, that's affecting a lot of people, especially like in the e-commerce market. But Gilm, uh, how might uh, data privacy be changing? Data privacy uh, will change thanks to decentralization. The whole course of how major company has built their business is entering in privacy is life from everyone uh, in exchange of free service. I think that needs to be changed. As I always say, everybody likes their privacy. Uh, nobody wants uh, someone that comes in your home, or your house, or your business. And today, the only way to do it is to disrupt briefly the how Many investment has been done in servers and things like that. So we need to take our whole system down. I, I used to work for Axiom. Axiom is uh, the largest uh, data company in the U.S. And uh, we helped uh, Facebook with our mobile ads. I was the evil side. So, so I went to, uh, uh, later, later I went to China, I went to uh, Thailand, I found out, and also Europe. I found out the people's uh, mindset about data security is very different. For example, in China, that the privacy was not so much of a concern, but the security is, it is more uh, overpowering the privacy. That's why like in one of our supermarket, we had the civilian counter connects to the police department, like most wanted the criminal database. We actually call like two people on the run within three months. And in the US, you could think this is an invade a lot of privacy, but, but in the country such as China, very different. But the same 
Same type of uh, application cannot be used in Thailand because Thailand is more conserved, conservative in terms of the data privacy. So we found out that technology went to the barrel because of the data privacy issue. And I hope someday we will have our control of the data. At the same time, we also need to find a way how to keep the world secure. And you know who are the criminals around you. That are you going to live uh, next door to, this, to the sex offenders and because they want to keep the privacy. So this is a balance that. Yeah, and then I'll just stop here. We can talk another hour about that. Yeah, but Facebook, they have the privacy, and it's always the same. The fear of selling a product or things like this. I mean, do rich, think rich people have a problem with uh, someone that's crazy out in the door? No, it touched the normal customer or the normal client. I think that Facebook hasn't made its money in its technology, it made its money in data. So on Amazon, Amazon doesn't win money, it's the distribution. So in one moment, we should ask this question, what are we doing? We need to use third-party apps to develop applications. I do a lot of entrepreneurs really shooting their heads like, oh, let's go quick. Let's do uh, build something with AWS and bring all the data through it. And what happens after is that nobody has control on your technology, all your data outsells. So in one moment, even if we try to create a new technology around it, uh, the RSA conference, how many years the RSA conference here in, in California exists, and we still have the same problem. You go to Washington DC and you have companies that still offer cloud and encryption and so on. And it's so easy to hack something. I mean, I can see your passion about data. Yeah, we can we can have that debate afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, Love to have. And you mentioned one piece of Web 3.0 uh, with the decentralization. But what about AI? How AI will change large industries like the healthcare or e-learning? Huge. This is huge. In fact, I invested in a portfolio company that. You know, right now, most of, most of them said, you know, AI is kind of like the backbone of the company, no matter what sector they're in, across sector, ed tech, health tech. Personally, right now, I'm also on a board of an AI company in healthcare. So, for example, to give you a specific example, it is they use an AI six file IPs, a software layer to interpret and visualize trillion of cell data in a way that nobody else can. So that it helps in terms of disease diagnosis, it helps in terms of disease classifications. So traditionally, if you do, let's say, cancer diagnosis, there is really, really high error rates, maybe, you know, 20, sometimes 25% in emerging markets. So that is really scary because it means that it can be mistreatment down the road if it is not the right diagnosis, let alone the fact that sometimes it takes more than two weeks or three weeks um, to get the results. So this company basically reduced the time significantly, reduced the cost using AI, and make sure by helping the physicians and experts looking into how to interpret the data in the highest accuracy. And this is kind of like tying back into sort of like impact VC or impact entrepreneurship that I've seen that a lot of companies like this trying to use the technology to solve one of the most critical problems. This, in this case, is healthcare. And Dr. Shu, maybe something on that? Yeah, I'm on the board of an AI company. 
private company that uh, we use AI to really try to change many aspects of the construction safety. Uh, you, know, you have people smoking, you have geofencing to really see where's higher temperature, whether people wash their hands in the restroom, uh, in the restaurant, right? There's so many things you can do and you walk into the, the to a service, they can tell you're the VIP client or you are the regular client. This has been done. Touchless checking and uh, like uh, what you talk about the medical record processing. I would say that AI is take over the world, especially take away the job that has patterns that machine can do. And then leave us with more time to do more of an EQ or more of an emotion-related personalized business. So I would say that if you look at AI, you don't have to reinvent AI. There are so many companies, solutions you can use, but really think about how can you make your service more personalized that the machine cannot take over, right? And then leave all the repetitive work to machine that who can, the machine which can do a much better job at a much more uh, accurate rate, just like Jeet said. Right. Let's go to the supply chain. So many problems right now. When do, do you think that companies are going to have more manufacturing than you, you mentioned some a little bit earlier? Actually, wherever you want to take the supply chain and the future of it. I believe the United States has an incredible power, which has everything. You can build everything in the US. I don't know, people are so fussed about it, go and produce and build the technology outside. Yes, it's cheaper. Yes, you give more money to your board of directory or your investors, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you control your technology. This is where it happens when you have IP problems. Building the technology outside of the supply chain is great, but you are lost. If you don't build all your intellectual property, you can go to China, Thailand, or any types of country, they will rip it off. So to do that and to really have control on it, you need to really produce. And then there is a problem of supply chain. Now, everybody has produced Intel, big corporate. They all put their money in the same bag. Everything in Asia, some other countries love it. And now they all, oh, this part of supply chain. Yes, because you haven't done nothing. You should have produced in your country. You have, you don't put all your bags inside. So me as a entrepreneurs and building the company and how we build the technology, we will do everything to reproduce all the chipset components here in the United States. Therefore, we control our supply chain. We control everything. Uh, Jeep or Dr. Shoot agree or disagree? Or different perspectives? <laughs> I would say that, that, yeah, you can try to produce as many things as you can, right? But uh, the, the world needs probably more, uh, more uh, components that you can. The future of the technology can bring the smart contract to make the supply chain smarter. And that in the near future, I already started that machine and it's important. And then at this point, you can have a more of a intelligence decision. Where are you going to build your uh, supply chain? Where are you going to build that the particular part? You know, as you said, the more control you have, the more independent you are. And however, where is your customer, right? Just try to either build your stuff next to your market. And uh, give you an example. People said, uh, we should build the, um, the coaching in Africa. I said, why? Because we want to ship the, the green uh, vegetable. I said, why do you do that? Why don't you just 
do the microgreen. You just ship the seed there and they add water. They can grow their vegetable themselves instead of build very expensive coaching. So there are, I, I would say that there are so many things you can consider about how to build a more efficient, smart, and a more cost-effective smart chain to serve your market, serve your global market. That's what I think. Uh, well, we move on actually with the great resignation and the growing gig economy. How does one keep top talent or do we, are we gonna see more further outsourcing, remote work? This is an interesting topic as an economist uh, by training. You know, I also advise startups that take advantage, meaning if you find the best resource outside the United States, especially outside of the area, if they can do the work, why not, right? Startup doesn't have a lot of cash. They don't have a lot of resources. This is, to me, is the moment after COVID, it's the moment that I hope that a lot of companies would realize that you know, geography actually doesn't matter much. Unless, of course, if you argue that you are in manufacturing, you have to go in the factory and work, that's a different case. But the work that can be done over Zoom, the work that can be done remotely, that is number one, the advantage that the startups can deploy in a lower cost locations. Number two, this is, you know, it's gonna get into the gender a little bit. This is where women thrive and a lot of the times, women quit their jobs in the past because they have they don't have flexibility. You know, um, they have to pick up kids, they want to attend soccer, they want to do a lot of other things that working in a big corporation or startups do not allow them to do. So if there is a choice, and if they could, then we can quit their job, right? This is the place where there is a new moment that emerged. A lot of startups actually decided to retain high-level executive women 50% of their time, 75% of their, their time, or 30% of their time, right, to do a certain function that, you know, um, they can accomplish and get the startup going. So it's kind of like a win-win for them, win for the executive, win for the startup, and it's all about flexibilities. So these are the two things that that I've seen that companies can adjust, even though we talk a lot about the great resignation in the past years, it actually provide a lot of value if they know how to capitalize on the opportunities. Right now, I think that we are in a different phase. It's not so much of a great resignation. It's about like, how are we gonna survive? What appear to be a downturn? Which, you know, um, to me, the same strategy, if they know how to deploy it, where the talents are and what the talents want, those companies would have a longer lifetime. With this downturn and also the future of technology, what worries you or what is something that is a disruptor as this panel is? What, uh, what, what, what is something that actually keeps you up now? What, what's the future worry that you have of your companies or companies that you're involved in? Well, I'm currently on the running three companies. One nonprofit and two for-profit. One is the private university. I think the number one thing I worry about is marketing and sales. Because um, anytime you really want to grow business, you need to really continue to explore what are the additional value you can bring to your market. How do you reach those people, right? With the data privacy, all those considerations, it's much harder 
to accurately reach out to your client. So now you need to really spend a lot of time on social media, content-based marketing, all those things that you may not want to do, right? So those are the challenges. Another thing is, where do I find the, the service that not only provide me with a direction and also how to, but also do those things for me, like a marketing, which company can do the complete marketing for me that I don't have to worry about marketing, that I can focus on my produce the product for my customer. So in summary, sales marketing and how to reach out to my potential customer is my number one consumer at this point. And what about pressure from ESG? We've heard a lot about this, you know, environmental social governance. Yeah. Um, some impact decisions made by the business. Is this something that a company should start planning for right away? Where does this fit and where do we see the future? My venture fund is an impact fund. And what I tell people, there is still a lot of misunderstanding in, you know, in, in the ecosystem that impact fund means nonprofit or social impact only is not. And this is what I teach at past business school at UC Berkeley. I teach every students on um, impact VC class. So impact VC is about using capital to incentivize social change. And when I run an impact fund, I actually expect the same return financially from the portfolio company. But at the same time, I also want to see what kind of social or environmental impacts that they can bring on the table using the capital that I invest in. So um, you asked about the trend we call ESG trends. Um, and there are, you know, it's, we, are in, we are at the right moment to really put, exercise the capital in the right way. Because number one, we talk a lot about the climate, right? United Nations uh, came with social development goals, we call SDGs, and climate is one of them. We have gender, we have a lot of other areas that as a society we have to improve on. And that actually incentivized the capital owners when they invest in my fund. They are LPs, limited partners. So the investors tell me that, look, you know, I have a lot of ways that I can invest and make money. You know, they're billionaires and, and whatnot. So can you help using my capital to generate additional returns more than the financial returns? Because otherwise, I can ask my wealth managers to invest financial returns. So what else can the capital bring? So I think that's the, I, I wouldn't call the pressure, but I think that the incentive that they, they see now that money is powerful and they can incentivize the change, that number one. Number two, because of the trends that we have seen, um, the next generation, the new generation, the millennials and whatnot, they actually truly care about it. My students, MBA students at Berkeley, they wanted to know and learn how can, right now, sustainability topic is the number one topic in the school. And they want to know what else they can do in order to bring the capital to create the change in the society. A lot of them went into the impact funds, a lot of them go into working in big corporations. They have the mindset of doing something differently. And I think that pressure from the capital owners, incentive, true incentive or motivations from the next generations, as well as the global change has shaped us. 
um, in kind of like shift into the new paradigm of investment and impact entrepreneurship. Gillian, you, you, you've worked all over the world. You created a fiscal product. Has any governmental decisions or future decisions ever something that worries you? About, so we have a lot of talk about the government coming in and maybe uh, making some rules about AI and such, although I think they'll be waiting too far behind. But is there anything that's ever impacted your business? AI is already discussed at the government level because in intellectual property, you have a real discussion on if a computer invents something, would you get the invention? Do we give it to a person? Do we give it to a computer? Today, we will not give the invention to the computer. We're still very far from that, so it's not like in Matrix. We are, we are on time to do that. So we have time. I think the government is uh, an incredible machine. They have a lot of needs, like all businesses. People are usually afraid about the government, but you just need to go. You can go to the CIA, knock on the door and say, oh, hello, this is my brother. And you will find someone that will maybe introduce you. So the government strategically gives you the help first to comfort because with the government, you have someone to defend yourself when you're business. So they are constantly in need. Uh, government is really pointless. Pointless, sorry. Um, it's, you need to create a product for the government that is like a Swiss knife. They want measurement, they want like a tail on They don't want just a, a normal product. So in this particular aspect, I think the government has so much things to do and it's an incredible market. The government says, wants new technology, uh, be ahead of other countries, uh, like France do it, like uh, any types of country. So, yes. We're, we're actually pretty much out of time and I think we're a little bit over time a little bit. So let's go ahead and end with key takeaways as well as how to contact you. And so I can start. Okay, for the contact me, you can go to LinkedIn. Um, to connect with me, Lucas Chu, last name X U, or you know, go to our website at h2chemical.org. But I think LinkedIn would be the best, right? And um, the final word is from many years of my uh, career since 2005, and then uh, you know, through I made it to the C suite within 10 years of my graduation, and then made it to the boardroom in another 10 years. I, I would say that the what I learned was surrounding yourself with an expert. Two levels of expert. One is the directional, strategic expert. Another one is the people who know how to do things like Adam, right? We chatted briefly. The people who can take strategy, put it into the implementation. That you don't have to worry about, you just leave your time to run your business, especially in technology. If you're not techy, leave it to the real expert. I hire coaches, I hire mentors, because I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to just try all sorts of things without knowing the back doors, without knowing the hidden rules, without knowing the real games. So hire the expert, know the real game, shoot to the right direction, and hire the expert, do the right implementation. And if your company will take advantage of this Digital transformation. Well, uh, okay. So for me, uh, uh, I'm gonna jump around to it. It was great. Me, I'm much more. Uh, if you don't know something, learn it. Uh, if you are CEO and entrepreneurs, you need to build your proper strategy. Uh, experts are very nice, but then in French, there's an expression: the experts are not the payers. 
So finally, at the end of the line, when they have to ask you something, it's you as an entrepreneur who need to discuss with your investors and your team why you didn't take this decision. So the more you have people around you, a CMO, a CTO, engineering, that's why I always say, don't do work outside. You have to have your people around you. If you need marketing, you have your CMO. You sit down with her and say, oh, how is it? How we can do it? Okay, I see it. Those are the way you can really select your team and really go to the strategical place. Then you want consulting. You ask a consultant, you need him to talk, and at the end you say, that's cool, see you. And you go and see your team and say, this is what I've seen. So this is for me the best way how you can drive a company. Employees are very important. As I always say, they are the Praetorian Guard. Uh, I always use this term because it's really the people that defend the CEO. They are the people that will rely on developing the technology, on going to the market, on selling. So this is the best way for me, uh, how to construct a very solid company. When you will see an investor, when you go and see someone, you will say, hey, this is my team. Oh, that's nice. They are pretty good. Yes, they are. And that's how you add value to it. This is how you're going to break market. And this is how you be a value and unique person and unique company inside the market. So if you want to reach me, it's in LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Guillaume Jallery. <laughs> and uh, if you are there, if you want to talk about a lot of stuff, I've done pretty lot of things. I've seen pretty lot of stuff in my life. So that's, uh, I'm open for everything. Thank you. I would like to say, you know, uh, the same thing that I always told my students. Technology is a long game. Um, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Sometimes it feels like it's a sprint because you don't have resources, you don't have time. But, you know, what I've noticed that people who have been very successful, they get to move around. One day, they're an entrepreneur, they get to exit the company, which is this conference is all about, and then they become a VC. Some VCs, they're very successful in being a VC, they see the market opportunity, they jump and they become a founder. So this is a very fluid industry and the world is really connected. Um, and I really believe that it's, we have to really look at the world at a broader level, that this is going to be a marathon for everyone. So enjoy it. So connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. And just remember this pail number four has the best shoes in the game. That's what you All right, now before we wrap up, I hope everyone enjoyed this week's episode of the Silicon Valley podcast. Now, I'm sure everyone noticed that I was not involved in this episode at all with Darren as a moderator and that fantastic panel. So my little message to everyone, if you're looking for a mid-market investment banker to help you with a merger, acquisition, raising growth capital, or secondaries, reach out to me. When I'm not doing the podcast, that's my focus. Now with that, enjoy, and I'll see everyone next week for next week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.